Come, 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 
This is the Voice in the Wilderness podcast channel. This is going to be Random Thoughts number 14. Number 14. Um, the topic today is going to be how the interested parties are like drug dealers. But first, a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen. All that I am, all that I have, all that I do shall be consecrated to the service, honor, and glory and exaltation of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and the Heavenly Kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray. Immaculate Heart of Mary, please pray for us. Sacred Heart of Jesus, please pray for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Ah, I'm sorry I said that. Um, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. So, I was talking with a friend of mine a few days back. Oh, before I get into the topic, I need to clarify. When I say interested parties, that is basically a euphemism. A euphemism is just a fancy word for a code word for the Masonic, Satanic sock puppets that run the world. So I was talking with a friend of mine, and we were discussing how um, he was referring to this um, in regards to uh, the Internet and IT and um, as a matter of fact, oh, I'll, I'll get into that in a minute. But he was basically, you know, we were talking and he was talking about how people get hooked on a product or a person or, or a, a hobby. And it got me to thinking 
it literally got me thinking that I've never been a serious drug addict. I've smoked weed in my pagan days, um, but I purposely stayed away from drugs like heroin or cocaine or crack or meth for the simple fact that those things are hideously, hideously addictive. And I knew my own personality well enough to know that I'm pretty addictive as it is and it wouldn't be a good idea. So I tried to stay away from those. But I've known enough people in my lifetime that this concept I'm about ready to explain to you, and I'm hoping it becomes more clear as I go along, is what drug dealers do to their customers. So to anyone who's ever talked to a drug addict or maybe have heard some stories, and there were a spate of books back in the 70s about how drugs were uh, getting innocent people addicted to the product, will know the concept of when a drug dealer, when they meet somebody that's innocent, naive, and new, and they say, oh, hey, man, you know, I want to buy your drugs. The drug dealer, if they want to make a customer, and, and trust me, every person, and I don't care if it's drugs, uh, a computer, a phone, uh, books, whatever, they want you hooked on their product. They, they, they want you hooked on their product. So what they'll do is, is they'll give you the good stuff first. And they'll give it to you at a really cheap price. I mean, really cheap. And then you you use it and you're like, wow, this is great stuff, man. Uh, I'm going to keep doing this. I, I love the feeling it gives me. And then eventually you get hooked on the product. Once again, it doesn't have to be drugs. It could be anything. And then what the dealer will do is start raising the price and weakening the product. The reason why a lot of heroin and uh, cocaine addicts end up dying is because um, is basically because they get addicted to the good stuff. And then they, you know, they have to keep increasing the dosage, dosage, spending more and more money to get the product, to get the Coke. And eventually, um, if they get a particularly strong dose of cocaine, it'll kill them or heroin for that matter. It'll kill them because they're used, they're used to the weak stuff. Now, I use the drug dealer as a metaphor. But as I hinted at earlier, it doesn't necessarily have to be drugs. The concept is the same for any product that you buy. Now, try to bear with me because I'm going to be bouncing from 
examples to examples. Um, and, and while we're on this, I'm going to take a quick, well, it's me, take it for what it's worth. I'm going to give an example of who the ultimate drug dealer drug dealer is and that's satan now for my secular audience out there if there are any um you're gonna laugh and scoff and was he no he's an idiot no you believe in a sky daddy what a moron but um satan is the ultimate drug dealer and as i said in an earlier episode he over promises and undelivers under delivers. So what Satan will do was get you addicted. And you got to remember, Satan is a pure spirit. He is literally a pure spirit. Therefore, um, he will, he's had millennia to, to watch human beings and to get reports about individual human beings and so he knows what your weaknesses are. Now, remember what I said earlier in earlier episodes. He wants to take as many people to hell with him as possible. So what he'll do is, is like the good old capitalist or drug dealer, entrepreneur, whatever your favorite expression is, is... He he knows you better than you know yourself because you got to remember he's not God. He doesn't have the same powers as God. However, he is a pure spirit. Therefore, he knows you intimately. And because we are flawed, finite individuals who are human, who are physical, there's a lot of stuff in our spiritual life because we have a soul that we are unaware of. So he'll take a particular sin, okay? Uh, could be anger, could be uh, gluttony. You know, maybe you overeat or overindulge in alcohol. Um, he'll take pride. Um, he'll take lust. Whatever your biggest weakness is, he will take that and he will try to get you addicted to your sin. And remember, when you indulge in a mortal sin, or for that matter, a venial sin to a lesser degree, you are weakening the Holy Ghost, which is keeping you pious and devout to begin with. So what he'll do is, is he'll take a venial or mortal sin. It, it starts out venially. It starts out venially. Maybe, let's just say in a venial case, you, you, there's a thing in particular that really annoys you. Let's just say that uh, people who are loud and obnoxious, and you'll get annoyed with them. You'll be thinking in your head, they're being loud and obnoxious, and you'll be thinking, that guy, he's really annoying me. I wish he'd shut up. He's an a-hole. Dang it. And it'll start off inside your head. But 
being the good dealer that he is, he'll keep feeding that thought in your mind. He'll keep feeding it into your mind. And he'll say, or he'll keep feeding that thought. And you've got to be willing to accept the thought that, yeah, yeah, all those people, oh, oh. And you'll, you'll, you'll sit and you'll stew. You'll stew in those juices till it gets to a point that one day, whatever it is that annoys you, in this case, we'll just say a lot of obnoxious people. Let's say you come across one and the devil will then turn it mortal. And he'll put it, he'll, he'll, he'll give you that lethal dose to your soul I'm talking about that lethal dose and you'll 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 literally wig out on him you'll literally you stupid sob you a hole why don't you shut the f up and blah 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 now you just committed a mortal sin and what he'll do in that instance is is he will he will give you a uh, another dose where all of a sudden you'll feel better. You'll feel better. You'll feel, wow, wow, I've been bottling up all this anger all this time and now I feel better. And the seed has been planted inside your mind that when you wig out on somebody, it makes you feel better. And depending on the person, let's just say, you like that, and you continue every time a loud and obnoxious person comes around you. You just spurg out on them. You just wig out on them. Till one day, you he he will give you the addicting dose. Or actually, I, I take that back. The addicting dose is the wigging out on the people who make you mad. Till finally one day you're so addicted to wigging out on loud and obnoxious people that one day they catch you in the right mood and let's just say you're a guy and you just wail on them. You just wail and beat the living tar out of them. Let's just say that at that point, unless you turn to God, you're going to get worse and worse. And because we're human beings and there are seven deadly sins, it, it, it's not just anger by itself. It's whatever your weaknesses are. And most people have several, several uh, weaknesses in us. And every day that you go out and do your thing... You get tested. You get tested um, on one day. It may be a particular weakness or on some days it may be several. And what makes trying to be pious and devout, especially if you're like me and you've had 50 years to indulge yourself and not have any spiritual discipline whatsoever, spiritual or mental discipline whatsoever, um, when you try to get pious and devout, you will get tempted 
on your weaknesses. One day it may be one, may, on a particularly rough day, it may be several. But every day, that's why they call it spiritual combat. Every day you're combining not, not Satan, because Satan doesn't make you do the things you do. Um, in an earlier episode, I referenced the, the movie Devil's Advocate. And Al Pacino, who is playing Satan, says... I don't make you do anything. I just give you the opportunity to do what you do. And it's the truth. But um he's he's literally like a drug dealer or an entrepreneur. And that leads me to the more worldly aspects of this, although given the fact that, you know, most of the world is pagan, um, these people, whether they know it or not, are literally Satan's tools. And you don't necessarily, as I said before, necessarily need to be an out-and-out Satanic Mason. If you're not living for God, you know, you're you're literally Satan's tool. I keep trying to get this to my co-religionists through their heads that you don't necessarily need to be an actual member of a Masonic Lodge. You don't need to subscribe to uh, Masonic principles. To be Satan's tool. If you are not following our Lord and his blessed mother completely and utterly, that anytime you step outside of their will, you are literally being Satan's tool. But I wanna I wanna give some examples from uh real life where people get addicted to the product. Let's take cell phones. I got my first smartphone back in 2013. I had kept the flip phone um, when they came out, mainly because, and this was the proper attitude at the time, that um, it was good enough for my purposes. I... Um, I could use the computer if I needed to get on the internet. I just used the phone to keep in touch with friends and family. And I started working at this hospital. It was a state hospital and they paid rather well. And I noticed everybody in the break room, I mean, everybody had a smartphone. Now, smartphones had been around. I want to say since the early 2000s, probably before then, but I remember them becoming particularly popular around the early 2000s. But at the early 2000s, they were hideously expensive. And only if you had the means could you afford to have a, a smartphone. But around 2013, 
Cell phones became more prevalent because they were becoming more affordable. And when I got my first cell phone, I told a friend of mine, I said, man, I don't know how I went all these years without having a smartphone. These things are incredible. And they were. Because I, I was on the internet a lot, and so I started accessing the internet on my smartphone. And I'm a horrible speller because I'm an indifferent student and I hated school. So a lot of times I'd have to use the spell check. And I remember in particular, the spell check was just, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. And it was intuitive too. The product was a good product, even though obviously cell phones back in 2013, 2013 were nowhere near as decent as they are now, uh, technologically speaking. But this goes back to the drug dealer thing. Anybody who's used technology in the past 25 years knows the technology itself has degraded. Just today, I was using my cell phone. Well, I've noticed this before today, but like anybody who uses a cell phone or a cell phone app knows, the apps that used to be fairly decent and, and fairly um, useful have become worse over the years. And... What our interested parties do is they keep making the apps progressively and progressively worse. And like a good drug dealer, they're now making you pay for things on an app or a cell phone that at first you didn't have to pay for. And secondly, you're paying for stuff that what you were getting for for free that made it operational or useful, you're now having to pay extra to get the stuff that you used to get for free that made it workable. And it's it's absolutely ridiculous. The, the amount of money. And I'll give you, if, if you're unfamiliar with what I'm talking about, commercials. As far back as 2017, if you had a cell phone app, most of them did not have, even the free ones, did not have in-app in commercials. And if they did, they were very unintrusive. I, right now, at present moment, I literally have three or four apps, which includes my email app, of all things, where if I don't want commercials, I got to pay them a fee to get rid of them. And the fee's not like a buck or two. The fee is literally, in some cases, 15 to $20. And in the most blatant examples, and anybody who's technologically aware knows this, it used to be back in the early 2000s that 
if you wanted to buy a certain feature, either for your computer or for your cell phone, you gave them a flat, a flat fee. Now, the flat fee might have been anywhere between $25 to $100, but once you paid the fee, the app was yours. Any um, improvements to the app or the computer um, application, you got it for free because it was yours. In most cases, you can't do that anymore. And to get back to what I was trying to say is, is that um uh, in some apps it is literally it's it's not a flat fee one time only it's a monthly fee of anywhere between 15 to 20 dollars to get rid of the undesirable elements in your app that the interested parties have put there. Now, I want you to see if you can follow this concept so that in your impatience and your annoyance, they can milk you financially. They can milk you financially for that. And see, a lot of people, not everybody, but a lot of people, they make a decent living so even though the 15 or the $20 hit monthly is not a major issue, it's still an issue. That's 15 or $20 they could have spent elsewhere. And the apps and and nowadays because um electronics are so um, uh ambiquitous you can't, in, in, in 95% of cases, you need some sort of electronic device in order to um, get through your day-to-day existence. Now, I just use apps. Let's talk about I, uh, computers and the internet in general. Those of you who do not believe the Masonic lie that Al Gore invented the internet in 1992 know that in the 1960s, a consortium of American universities and the U.S. military devoted the internet, or I'm sorry, they developed the internet so that they could have personal, secure communications with each other. Now, before my less attentive listeners get the idea that I'm saying that every university in America colluded with the American military, no, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is some American universities did have contracts with the U.S. military and did use the Internet. Other universities used the Internet to exchange academic papers between each other. And I bet, I'm willing, if I were a bet man, I'd willing, I'm willing to bet that those articles that gave that history of the Internet have probably been memory hold. 
Or given the state of society and culture today, people have forgotten those stories. It doesn't matter. So in 1992, it was decided by our um, loving United States government that, well, why should the government have all that fun? Let's just go ahead and make the internet public. And the reason I'm bringing up the, the example of the internet and just the quick aside, back in those days, I didn't have the money or the resources to A, have access to the internet or be a computer. I came into the game after they'd already started downgrading the internet, but my friend, he's a younger guy. He's about 10, 15 years younger than me. He talks about, oh, the internet used to be the wild, wild west. And, you know, and I remember those stories from the, the late 90s, early 2000s, how the internet was unregulated and certain journalistic parties were talking about, well, we need to regulate the internet. It's, it's too wide open. You can access child porn with the internet. That's horrible, blah, 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 blah. And for that argument, I always thought that child porn existed way before the internet was available to regular people. If you are addicted to your PD, um, pedophilia, you're going to find a way to indulge it. You're literally going to find a way to indulge it. And trust me, I have experience with it. I'm not saying I'm a pedophilia guy. I'm, I'm saying that I knew people who were. And, um, you know, even when the, before there was an internet, they found a way to um, indulge their pedophilia. Anyhow. And I tried explaining to my friend that, okay, number one, if the internet was um, developed by the U.S. government and the interested parties that are running the U.S. government, then they had a purpose for doing that. And like the good, think about my earlier metaphor that I used, how a drug dealer will give you something and it'll be really, really good. And then the quality of the product goes down and then he starts charging more and more for the product. Okay. Just think about that. And I kept trying to tell him that those were the conditions that the U.S. government allowed the Internet to come public. And anybody over the age of 30 can tell you their own story about how, pick your year, uh, 2000, 1995-2015, how things that were functional and decent you know, either device-wise or the internet-wise, is now becoming more censorious, more expensive, and less functional. 
As I keep trying to tell my listeners, this is on purpose. It's not a mistake. It's not some rant coincidence. It's not just some random person doing something stupid on their own. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, there are stupid people doing random stupid stuff. But when it comes to worldwide stuff like cell phones, computers, internet, movies, um, video games, um, sports ball teams, all that stuff. Over the past 25 to 30 years, it's been getting progressively and progressively worse. To use a more personal example, movies. I started watching movies on a regular basis when I joined the military. Be when I was in high school and when I was in middle school, pretty much the only way I got to see a movie was if it came on the television set, and that's back when you had to get off your dead duff and literally flip a knob to get the correct channel, and you did not have over a hundred channels on your TV. You had three. Because one of the uh, drawbacks of the younger types is, is they, they're unaware of the fact, in most cases, that back in the 70s and as far back as the 50s, you had three or four channels on your TV set unless you had a really good antenna. For those of you who don't know what an antenna is, you literally, it was this... Uh, a, metal metal protrusion that you had to climb on top of your roof and stick it on your roof to get the television signals. And then instead of getting three or four channels, you might have gotten six or seven. And the reception was horrible, by the way. Anyhow, so when I would... The only way I ever got to watch movies, if I didn't, you know, if some adult didn't take me to the theater, was on TV. And then right around this time, the VCR came out. Now, yes, yes, I know the VCR had been around since at least the early 70s. Remember what I talk about technology when technology first comes, only the well-to-do can afford it. And then later, what seems like a coincidence, the technology becomes cheaper and your plebs or your working class can afford to buy the product. So when I joined the military... Um, VCRs were relatively affordable. And because I wasn't paying for rent and my food, I could very easily afford a VCR. And the reason why I could uh, wasn't paying rent and food is in the United States military, if you are a single unmarried person, you get to live in what are known as a barracks. And you're provided your food by Uncle Sam. Anyhow, and um, what some guys were doing was, was they would buy two VCRs and they would tape a movie 
and put it on another VCR tape. Those were also fairly inexpensive. And then they, you know, they would sell them to, to the guys in their platoon. Hey, I've got a copy of RoboCop. You want to buy it? How much? Five bucks. There you go. And I got hooked on movies. Now, movies at this time, I'd all... I'd already heard from, it depended on the older generation person, but they were saying, oh, movies aren't what they used to be. Movies aren't what they used to be. It's all trash. And being in my 20s, yeah, yeah, okay, boomer, you know, run your mouth. I don't care. (laughs) It got to the point, like, I want to say, well, let me, let me, let me backtrack a bit. Back in the uh, back in the uh, in the nineties, I started noticing a trend that um like a lot of the movies out of Hollywood, I shouldn't say a lot, some of the movies out of Hollywood were passable. They they were watchable. Obviously, they had plot holes you could drive a truck through, but they were passable. They were watchable. And it was a good way to pass an, an hour and 30 minutes of your time or 90 minutes, well, 90 minutes, yeah, an hour and 30 minutes of your time. And then I started noting, I noticed that there were other movies that were out and out communist propaganda or they were just terrible. It was like somebody had snorted a bag full of Coke, like in Scarface, and decided, hey guys, let's make a movie. Doesn't have to make sense. Doesn't have to have a plot. We'll just film each other doing random crap. And at that time, because you got to remember, I'm a pagan, I'm thinking, eh, it's just, you know, you're, you're, you're going to have that. It's, you know, just random people being random idiots. But I notice as I'm getting older, the, the movies that are absolutely horrible, as time goes on, there's more and more of them. To the time that by, I want to say, after about 2008, I'm noticing that the majority, the majority of Hollywood movies are garbage. And so I quit going to the theater. Now, at the time, I was going to matinees. I was I I would go to an afternoon matinee and pay anywhere between five to eight dollars depending on the theater and watch a new movie you know on a Tuesday or Wednesday afternoon for five or eight dollars and I, it got to the point where I'm like man five and eight dollars is too much money for this trash and one of my relatives an aunt put me on to Netflix now to Anybody over 25 remembers when Netflix originally came out. 
you could order DVDs through the mail. And their movie selection, and this is one of the reasons I got a laptop, was so that I could go onto the Netflix website because I didn't have a smartphone and order movies. And they had classic movies. They had classic movies. And the premise was very simple. You fill out your form, depending on your membership, you could get one movie. They would send you a movie through the mail. You didn't even have to pay for the envelope. They sent it to you. You watched it. You watched it as many times as you wanted to. Then you put it back in the envelope and sent it back. And it was a great deal. This was, I want to say this is around 2008, 2009. By 2013, I'm noticing that the mail-in service is horrible. That they're, you know, people talk about censorship on YouTube. Well, Netflix was literally um, censoring the movies on that they, that they would send you. Now, when I say censoring, I don't mean that they put out an email saying, oh, uh, the following movies are, um, they're problematic and we're not going to have them on our, on our thing. What they just basically did, and this is another way interested parties work, is they'll just make the, the, the thing, which is, which has been available, which has been ambiguous for over 20 to 30 years, unavailable. I started noticing classic movies that I'd been able to order back in 2008 were unavailable. And then it got to the point, like 2014, 2015, where it wasn't even worth it to have the mail-in service. It literally wasn't worth it. And when I started uh, working at the hospital, I could afford to get the disc service and the streaming service. I got the streaming service around that time. And when Netflix started their streaming service, they're, um, to those of you who like movies, they had shows like uh, House of Cards with Kevin Spacey. And they had other shows. And the shows were decent. And then toward, you know, like I said, 2015, the shows became unwatchable. And it wasn't just with my movies. You know, video games that I used to play that... Uh, there were real these were becoming more and more expensive and more and more less functional. Things in the video games that had been available 10 or 15 years previously didn't have those features. And the games themselves, you're paying 60 bucks at that was the last time I played, 60 bucks for a video game that was less functional than it had been 10 or 15 years previously. Uh, same thing for sports ball. 
Um, they started making United States football political back in the early 2000s. And um, by 2018, you had players kneeling on the field and a whole artificial controversy about patriotism and blah, 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 blah. God gave me the grace, and it's literally a grace, that if I had something that I liked and it became less functional and less enjoyable, I could just drop it. I could just drop it at the drop of the hat. Now, depending on the particular, you know, whether it's American football, video games, uh, movies or whatever, depended on uh, the hold it had on me. But um, God gave me the grace to let go of these things. My larger purpose in bringing up my own personal example and the three things that I really enjoyed is to illustrate the larger point of this episode. People want to think, well, they can't help but think because they're spiritually blind that this is all random. You know, the degradation of hobbies, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, knitting circles, uh, whatever your hobby may be, if it's, um, yeah, whatever your hobby may be, or your sports ball teams, your video games, your, uh, your entertainment. Because, and I, I, I am convinced this is on purpose. Because prior to, prior to the introduction of electronic devices in our society, well, let me, let me go back a scotch. It's not just electronic devices. If you did not want to be a part of the political, the Masonic political system, you didn't have to. You didn't have to. If you didn't want to vote in our rigged elections, you could find other ways to occupy your time. TV, movies, and books. Because entertainment which has been given to us by God, by the way, is our escape avenue. And I'm, by the way, if you're trying to be pious and devout, a secular hobby in and of itself is not terrible. But if you're trying to be pious and devout, your focus should be getting closer to God and his blessed mother. Not secular things. But that's not what this is about. But... In secular hobbies, you had a way to escape the idiocy that is our rigged political system. And over the years, they've been turning up the screws. And I tried to explain this concept to my friend, and I told him that 
the reason why the entertainment is getting progressively and progressively progressively worse is because interested parties, the power behind the American government and all governments, I might add, I don't care where you're at. I've got listeners from all over the world. I don't care where you're at. Your government has interested parties that are telling it what to do. Um, take it for what it's worth. Oh, the distractions are be, they're they're purposely making it so horrible that if you are secular, in other words, if you don't have the right religion and and you don't have the proper relationship with our Lord and His Blessed Mother, you're going to have no choice out of necessity but to engage their political system. And this goes back to totalitarianism. You know, I read 1984, I want to say, in the early 90s. And the famous line of 1984 was when the secret policeman captures the protagonist of that all. Of the you know who decides to become part of the resistance movement against the dictatorship he was into, and it's actually a monologue, well, kind of a monologue slash dialogue, and the secret policeman at the end of at the end of the monologue says, "Look, Winston, we don't want your grudging consent." When we tell you five plus five, I'm sorry, two plus two equals five, we literally want you to believe it. And they're doing the same thing, you know, now. That's the way they've always operated. For those of my less historically minded counterparts, 1984 was actually read... um, Written by Orwell in 1948 as some overly um, academic autist had pointed out. He just, he flipped, he flipped the 48 for an 84. But this has always been their goal. They don't want you your grudging consent. They want your whole mind, heart, soul, and divinity. And the reason is, is because the interested parties, whether they know it or not, in some cases I believe they do know it, other cases I believe they're ignorant, they want you to worship their God, Satan, who is the God of this world. And so, I I know I've pounded this ad nauseum throughout the, well, not pounded it ad nauseum. I've mentioned it in passing in several of my previous episodes. I'm, I'm trying to, in the best way that an inarticulate person like myself can, to try to put it all together into one package or episode, whatever. 
So that is why that is why things have been degrading. And believe it or not, as bad as the um the products and the services that are being that have been degraded, and I mean utterly degraded. Well, um, you might as well get used to this. It's going to get worse, especially well. I don't know exactly what Mr. Schwab and his buddies up in uh, the World Economic Forum have planned, but up until the time the Great Reset actually kicks off, it's going to get progressively and progressively worse and more unbearable. And heaven help us, when they do decide to kick into the Great Reset, because I take them at their word. Okay, I take everyone at their word. If they say they're going to do something, unless they don't follow through, I'm going to take them seriously. And don't get it twisted, guys. Sometimes what seems like lack of follow through, it's not lack of follow through, it's patience. In other words, when Klaus Schwab and his minions put out the statement that they wanted um that they want to take away or I'm sorry destroy 70 to 90% of the world's population just because it doesn't happen tomorrow doesn't mean that that's not part of the plan because as moderns were very impatient and I'm not discluding myself in that we get impatient as a matter of fact impatience is one of my biggest i've got many faults it's one of my many faults we're impatient we've been trained to be impatient if our burger takes longer than two minutes to get out to the window to us we spaz we freak now but don't don't think that because something doesn't happen within a week, six months, a year, oh, well, that's just, they, they have lack of follow-through. We don't have to take them seriously. Because at the end of the day, you have to recognize you're not a mind reader. You're not spiritually gifted. Only they know and when I say they, whoever is going to implement this, um, only they know the timetable. And I think here I'm, I'm going to give my closing thoughts and wrap up. See, part of naturalism or what the the the, the tradition uh, the pre-Vatican II Catholic Church calls naturalism is when you make yourself God, 
And dominions at the World Economic Council, the powers that be, are the powers that be or interested parties, their goal is to be gods of this earth. In other words, you live or die on a natural level at their say-so. If they decide that you're an inconvenience and they want you killed, they, they send their minions out to do it. If they decide that they want you to be their slave, they enslave you. That is naturalism. On an individual level, and that's what I've been kind of talking about uh, throughout my podcast, is that on an individual level, when you refuse to serve God in spirit and in truth, you're being your own God because you're not submitting yourself to God's will. So, I know this is going to make a lot of people mad. It's the truth, so you're going to have to deal with it. Everybody... Everybody has a God complex. Now, to my younger types who've never heard about the God complex, basically every totalitarian dictator was said to have had a God complex because basically a person with a God complex wants to micromanage Populations, um, what is known, they want to micromanage mass populations. They want to be able to tell you when you can get up, when you can go to bed, what you can eat, what you can't eat, what your hobbies are, what you can do, what you will believe, what you won't believe. And at the end of the day, if you want to know what the foundation for a God complex is, remember I made that quote from 1984 where the secret policeman tells the protagonist, we don't want your grudging consent when we tell you two plus two equals five. We want you to truly and honestly believe, when we tell you 2 plus 2 equals 5, we want you to honestly believe that. That is, that is the, the essence of the God complex distilled. So this is it. Um, for those of you who gave me nearly an hour of your time, I do appreciate it and I thank you from the bottom of my heart, for your time and your patience. I pray for everyone. And I'd like to see as many people get to heaven as possible. And I hope and pray you guys find this material edifying. I really do. But remember, before you can accept the grace graces that God gives you if you're 
you know, if you even believe in God, you have to be able to recognize God's graces before you can accept them. So thank you for listening. Thank you for your time. Have a good day. God bless you. Uh, A sincere and hearty God bless you. Bye-bye. Gloria.